You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. This is a Sunday where your pastor needs to be perked up. So why don't y'all do something? (laughs) I really really could use it. I, I will tell you this. My wife, who is off in uh, North Carolina, sent me a note, and I'll, I'll just read it. This helps me more than anything. I've been praying all morning that the Lord bathes you in his peace and gives you his wisdom as you share this morning about the SBC. I just, uh, I did a good job, buddy, when I picked out my wife. <clears throat> It, talking about my wife, I rarely drive her car. I don't like driving cars. I'm used to driving an SUV or a truck. And um, when I took her to get her new car, uh, she, I drove home. She drove it home. I never test drove it. I said, that, it's your car. You get in there and figure if you like it. And so um, a day or so after we got the car, she said, hey, listen, uh, I need some stuff. Let's go to Costco and uh, let's, let's take my car. You drive it. I want you to drive it. So we got to Costco. It's like Christmas. Every day is Christmas Day at Costco. <clears throat> and uh, there, there are more people there than anywhere else. You know, it's just like Christmas in the parking lot. You go in. Have you ever come out of there with less than $100 worth? I buy more stuff when we're in there, or she buys more stuff when we're in there. And uh, tons of it. I mean, you just don't buy this when you have to buy it like this, you know. So we we came out and we loaded it all up in the car and I got in her car to back it up uh, to to leave. And uh, I'm looking at the little camera deal on the screen and I don't see anything back there. But as I back up, all of a sudden there is just this jerk and this grinding sound of brakes and the car stops, and then there's this alarm that is just blaring and a red light that is just flashing up in my face. Well, I'm, you know, here's Fred Sanford. I'm grabbing my heart. I'm just, I think, oh, my Lord, what has happened? And when I figure out I'm not dead, you know, I'm looking, what has happened? You can't imagine the sound and the jar uh, that, that just takes place. And I look over at her, and she said, scares you, doesn't it? <laughs> She said, I did it yesterday. And I said, well, what is it? She says, it's the automatic braking system in this car. And I I said, just let me get home. And this is your car. You drive. I'm having to drive it today. But you, you, this is your thing. You know, it's a shame God did not give us an automatic braking system when we were on the verge of losing it, Right? I mean, if something would just in your life, if God had just given, when we lost our patience and we were going to fly into an angry fit that all of life just jarred to a stop and you had these sirens go off and these red lights flashing, stop before you do something stupid. But he didn't do that, but he gave us the Holy Spirit who produces in us a system called patience. Now, if you think it's fun listening to this, you should have lived my week this week. Uh, Don't, this will be the only sermon this congregation will hear on patience from me. Anyway, 
you, you just don't preach on it. But we're going to look at it. So if you've got your, con your copy of God's Word, we're going to look at James chapter 5. Now, let me just ask you, um, what about you? What about patience? Because we are, by our fallen nature, we're automatically impatient. And those of us in the Western world, especially in America, we have been trained to become more and more impatient. McDonald's says, if you don't have your lunch in 90 seconds, it's free. Now, that's my, we are an instant gratification, uh, drive-through uh, people, generation. Uh, we want instant satisfaction uh, every single moment. We will not wait. They tell us uh, that we will not wait three seconds now on the computer for a page to download before we're off to something else. We're on to another page. We leave that and go. Every three seconds or less, we're moving to something new. Do you know in Tokyo, they've got a restaurant where you eat by the minute? That's how they charge you. That the faster you eat, the less the meal's going to be. Uh, so they can move people through there rapidly. Get them in, eat it, throw it down, get it out. Then throw it up, I guess, if you eat that fast. So let me give you a couple of signs, and I'm just gonna give you a couple of these uh, to find out. Now, where are you? So here we go. Other drivers. Are they the bane of your existence? You know, that's the number one place that they say it shows up in people is in driving, the impatience in traffic, in driving, waiting for other people. Number two, people who tell long stories are literally torturing you. Maybe it's pastors who tell long stories. I don't know. Number three, when your friend can't decide what to order at the restaurant, do you lose your mind? Now, I'm just going to confess up front, I'm a very impatient person. Mr. Ken came out after the service. He said, Pastor, are you impatient? I never thought you were impatient. I said, oh, Mr. Ken, if you only knew my heart. Anyway, I'm, I just don't like to wait. Number four, when someone with over 10 items gets in the express lane, are you tempted to put down your bread and come back later? Sure you are. None of y'all, you don't want to own up to this. When you have a question in class and the professor calls on someone else first and you're sitting and they're just talking all around it, but you have the answer. You become impatient. Number six, this is like Foxworthy. Here's your sign. You're impatient. People who interrupt you with a question when you're just about to give the answer to what they are asking ahead of time. Number seven, you're ready to go at least half an hour before you have to leave and you're sitting at home just counting the seconds before you can walk out the door. Now, that's me. I, I get that. I'm like that and I'm just pacing back and forth. Y'all think I pace up here. I just pace back and forth if I've got to be somewhere and I'm, I'm waiting on it to get there. We're, we're all in, but what about those moments when you deal with the little tiny frustrations of every day? What happens to your patience then? What about the little irritations that come along in life? What about the interruptions? How do you like interruptions during the course of your day? You gotta stop doing this to go do that. When you get into that, you gotta stop that to go back to doing something else over here. What about the inconveniences or the inactivity of life? All of those things just wear on us, grate on us, and every single one of us deal with an issue of impatience somewhere in our lives. And yet the Word of God tells us, and I'm going to take you to Proverbs 16 if you want to go there now. Look at Proverbs 16. Put your finger in James 5. Go to Proverbs 16. 
everywhere through the word of God, you discover that uh, patience is not just a value, it is a virtue, and beyond being a virtue, patience is considered to be the wisdom of God. Isn't that interesting that you'll see that patience is the wisdom of God? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. Now, this is why you need a Bible. This is why you need to bring a pencil or a pen or something with you to write with a highlighter or something so you can underline. This is a verse you should underline and mark. I've got it underlined and I've got it marked in my Bible. Listen to what Solomon says here. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Now, we would would not say that in America. We would say the opposite of that. Better is the mighty than the person who is patient. But he says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. The word of God gives us over and over a word about being patient and how it shows maturity in a believer's life and how it shows godly wisdom. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love? Love is patient. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul comes and he says, listen, those who walk worthy of God are long-suffering. He comes in Colossians chapter 3 and he tells us, just like you got up and put on clothes this morning, it's the same word, put on patience. You put it on. You dress up in it when you get up out the bed in the morning. And now, listen, he turns to the Thessalonians, he turns to the Corinthians, he turns to Timothy, and he tells them, be imitators of me and my patience. Now, boy, that's bold to say that, isn't it? Because I can't say, I could not stand up here and tell you, now, every one of y'all sitting in here needs to be patient like I am. I can't do that. Paul could do it, but not your pastor. James comes now. And in what is really one of the most practical letters in the New Testament, the entire book of James is constantly answering the question, how do I live the Christian life? How do I live the Christian life? How do I live the Christian life? He comes and he gives all this practical word about how the Christian lives. And in the very last chapter, next to what he says last, he turns to the whole issue of being patient. Patient. In fact, he's going to talk about patience, endurance, and perseverance. He's going to use those three words, and he's going to use them six times in five verses, which tells us this was major on his mind. This was a major thing that the Holy Spirit had put on his heart. So I've got four things to tell you. You can be very thankful that I'm only going to preach one today. Uh, I I will give you the other three. I'll look at verse 9. I'll tell you something about it, verse 10 and verse 11. I'll tell you something about those, and I'll wrap it up. But we're going to look at verse 7 and verse 8. Because he comes there, and listen, he's talking about in the Christian life, when we need patience, you will need patience when you face unfair treatment in life. When you, when you are not treated fairly in life, when you're not treated with justice in life, he says you're going to need patience. Now watch this because that's the whole context of his talking about patience. 
You start in chapter 5 of James in verse 1, and he's addressing those that are very wealthy because those that were wealthy in James' day were also part of uh, the governance of the people. They were the people that were chosen to be the leaders of the government, uh, both civilly and religiously. So he comes in verse 1 of chapter 5, and he says, Come now, you rich, weep, howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted your garments, have become moth-eaten. Your gold, your silver has rusted. He goes through all of this. And he says, you know, why is that so? Why is this going to come on you? Because the pay of the laborers who mowed your field and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. He comes and he says, listen, you've mistreated the people under you who work for you. You uh, have mistreated those who are day laborers. You have mistreated those who are blue-collar people who work from day to day, week to week, who feed their family paycheck to paycheck. You have shorted them their pay. You have not paid them fair wages. You have withheld wages from them. You've seen organizations. You've seen industry. You've seen businesses that do this kind of stuff. They will withhold somebody's wages for some reason. They'll cut them short for some reason. Uh, They will not pay them what the market uh, says they need to be paid. And he said, because of that, you've created such anxiety For some of these, you created such stress. They've lived with such little under such pressure. He says in verse 6, you've condemned them as if you put them to death. The righteous man, and he has no ability. He has no ability to resist you. He has no one he can go to. He has no one he can turn to, but God hears it. God knows it. Now, that's the background. I give you all of that. That's the background because in verse 7, look at it. Therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? Because of what he's just said, because of the way people have been treated unfairly, because of the way there has been an injustice, he says, therefore, be patient. He comes now and he tells those that have been unfairly treated, you be patient. Everybody in here knows what it is to be treated unfairly. Whether you were six years old and you were not picked for a team and you felt like it was unfair and nobody treated you fairly or whether or not you were passed over for a promotion last year or you did not get that salary increase that you had worked for and earned and the company said, we just can't do it right now. Every one of us understands what it is to be treated unfairly. Some more than others, some at a greater cost than others, but we all understand it, and he comes and he says, be patient. Now, the word is makrothumos. It's an interesting word. Macro in the Greek means long. It's the opposite of micro. That's a Greek word, micro. Um, Macro is long, great, extended. Thumos, thermos, thermostat, temperature. It describes what's hot generally. That's what it's saying. A thermos is something that keeps something hot for a long time. So he's saying, be long-tempered. Don't blow it. Don't lose your cool. Don't lose your head. Don't go berserk. Be long-tempered when you are treated with injustice, when you are treated unfairly, when when you are slighted in some kind of way. 
Don't blow it. Don't lose your coup. Listen to what he said. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Do you see that? Now watch this because this is fascinating with these two verses. Look at the end of verse two. For the coming of the Lord is near. He bookends what he's saying right here with the concept, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming, the Lord is near. And so in the midst of that, he's talking about patience. And now he's going to, he's going to look at this and he's gonna give you an illustration. Now let me just tell you that Aristotle when he writes about the consummate Greek man, uh, he would tell you that the consummate Greek man uh, was not patient. That was not a value. That was not a virtue. Uh, that was seen really as a negative. Uh, to be patient was seen as a weakness. So Aristotle described the consummate Greek man as a man who, if he was treated unfairly, would seek revenge immediately. Now, we've not progressed beyond that, have we? That's the flesh. That's where we are. That's American society. That's the business world. That's the way we are in organizations. That's how you get to the top. That's how you succeed. That's how you rise up in position is that you are short-tempered, you are ill-tempered, and it gets you places to be that way. Whew. Preacher, you ain't never lied. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the way the world we live in operates. And the word of God comes and tells you something totally different for us. In fact, you're right there in James. Look over just two pages in my Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2 and listen to what the example is for us. Um, the example for us in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21 is this. For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Who is our example? always Jesus Christ, to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. What is, what is, what is the policy? We've even had a president say this, not the best thing to do for the country, but we had a president who said, if you punch me, I'm going to knock you down. It's kind of like, you come at me with a knife, I'm coming at you with a gun. You come at me with a gun, I'm going to have an AK-47. You know, I'm going to do one up. It's, this is not going to be tit for tat here. This ain't going to be eye for eye or tooth for tooth. It's going to be you knock out my tooth, I'm going to knock off your head. That is the way, that's the world you live in, is it not? Is that not right? Sure it is. That's the way it is. But now listen, while being reviled, he, Jesus, did not revile in return. While suffering, he, Jesus, uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. He kept patiently waiting for God to act in all of this. And he did. You say, well, now how do we do that? Look at the very next verse, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, we were healed. By his wounds, listen, 
I've learned to love. By his wounds, I've learned to stop hating, and I've learned to start loving. By his wounds, I've learned to stop being upset all the time, and I've learned to have joy. By his wounds, I've learned to stop being so ill at ease, and I've, 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 I've learned to be at peace. By his love, listen, by his death, by his blood on the cross, by his sacrifice, I have learned to stop being so ill-tempered and become patient. It's not me, it's Christ in me. That's what he says. That's how you do it. Now go back to James, just two pages back now. James chapter five, because I want to show you two things. He's going to say one thing in verse seven, and it is this anticipation. And then in verse eight, he's going to talk about a stabilization. There's this anticipation that comes. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now, that's as far as I've gotten thus far. The farmer, now he gives you an illustration. He says, just look at the farmer who waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and the late rains. Now, he comes here and he says this. He says, I want you to look at this farmer and what he focused on. What is he waiting for? What is the farmer waiting for? Look in the text. This is a, this is a pop test, okay? What's he waiting for? Not the rain. What's he waiting for? Come on, look at the text. The harvest. There you go. I've got some A students here. He's waiting on the harvest. He's not focused on the soil. He's not, he's not concerning himself with all of the stuff that takes place in the soil. He's not worried about the, the early rains and the latter rains because he can't control any of that stuff. He's waiting on what? He's waiting on the harvest. He is focused on the harvest, and in whose hand is the harvest? The Lord, who is what? Coming. The Lord who is coming. That's what he's waiting on. That's what he's focused on. He's focused on the thing that is in God's hand that God will provide, that God will bring about. He's not focused on all these things that upset us. Now, that's what we focus on. Amen and amen. We walk around, listen, we walk around with a chip on our shoulder about things people have said to us, positions people have taken, things that they have written on, you know, social media. We walk around with a chip on our shoulder all the time because of somebody else's feelings, somebody else's ideas. Listen, I can't control, I can't control it. I have a hard time controlling me. I have a hard time controlling me. I can't control anybody else. So why do I worry about controlling everybody else and what they've said and what they've done? Why don't I just focus on the Lord who is coming and what he is able to bring about? There is a harvest that God's going to bring about if I am faithful to do what he's called me to do. Now, there, there you go. That's what he's saying right there. Focus on the Lord because he's coming. I want you to listen to G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan was the prince of expository pastors, preachers. He uh, was pastor at Westminster Pulpit in London in the late 1800s, the early 1900s. Uh, have, you been, have you been there, Scott, yet? Did you get to Westminster? Do they have anything up there about G. Campbell Morgan? In the, in, in the back room? I, I pastored his great-grandson, his grandson and his great-grandson, I, uh, I dedicated Started to say baptized, but I didn't do that. Um, I, I dedicated his great grandbaby. 
Uh, His were some of the first sermons I started reading. I want you to listen to what he says about the second coming. To me, the second coming is the perpetual light on the path which makes the present bearable. Wow. Let me read that again. To me, the second coming is the perpetual light on the path which makes the present bearable. I never lay my head on my pillow without thinking that maybe before the morning breaks, the final morning may have already dawned. I never begin my work without thinking that perhaps he may interrupt my work today and begin his own. Let me tell you something. There is something here, and I'm going to kind of wrap up with some of this, that is being stated about the coming of the Lord. You need to understand the Lord is near. He is near. When you go through those moments in life that are not fair and you're not treated with justice, you need to understand, listen, you wait. You focus on what is in the hands of God and forget all this stuff that is out of your control. Now, let me give you the second thing. Now, that's, that's the anticipation. They're anticipating the coming of the Lord. But look at this second thing, the stabilization. He comes now and referring back to that farmer, look at verse 8, you too be patient. Like that farmer is patient because he's focused on the right thing, you too be patient. You get focused on the right thing. And look at what he says. While you are patient, strengthen your hearts. Now, this verse all week long has been my verse I've kept calling out to the Lord. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. All I can say, there are a lot of theologians who debate about this. Now, which is, which is James talking about? Is he talking about the Lord coming near me now? Or is he talking about the second coming of Christ? And I think both are true. Yes, I think the first one, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming uh, he's, he's coming, he's near me now, and he is coming in his second coming. So he says this, you be patient, strengthen your hearts. How can I do that? Because I understand this hope, the, Lord, uh, the Lord's coming is near. Let me tell you something. If we aren't living in the last days, we're missing a good chance. We're missing a good opportunity. If this isn't, if this isn't the tuning up uh, for that trumpet, Sound, I, 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 don't know what, I don't know what it's going to look like. We don't want to be here if this isn't the preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you. Well, he says, the Lord is near. You strengthen your heart. That whole thing talks about this disposition that you're to have. It's to be one of an anticipation. And in the anticipation, I strengthen my heart. And you say, now, pastor, how do I do that? Well, let me just show you something. Now, put your finger there in James chapter 5. Go with me back to Psalm 10. Psalm 10. And let me read you something. Let me, in fact, let me just walk you through a few passages here. Listen to what it said. How do I strengthen my heart? Well, it's not so much you, brothers and sisters, but listen. Psalm 10, verse 14, the psalmist comes, and and this is what he says. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Now, look, you have to desire this. God, I want you to strengthen my heart. 
I am being unfairly treated. This isn't right. I am struggling with how do I handle this. But what I desire above and beyond anything else is for you, Lord, listen, you to bear through me patience that demonstrates the life of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Who was patient more than Jesus was? Who's been more patient in your life? Jesus. Has it been your boss? Has it been your mate? Has it been your children or your parents? Oh, Jesus has. Oh, Lord, you've heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. He will come, and that's exactly what he will do. Look at Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41, and, and, and listen, beginning in verse 10. Don't be anxious. Do not fear, for, I'm with, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who continue with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Who's going to take care of those? The Lord. Leave it to the Lord and stand there in patience. Wait on God to do this. He said, when a preacher, that's all Old Testament. Well, okay, all right, go to 2 Thessalonians. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3. Listen to what Paul says there. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. All through the word of God, listen, if we will lean on the Lord and allow him, he will strengthen our heart. That's what that's what James is saying here. He comes and he says, you be patient, strengthen your heart. Listen, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do you know how many times you read that? Look down in verse nine. You're gonna see it right there. At the end of verse nine, it says this. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. You get over here in Philippians chapter four. Oh, these new Bibles. My patience has come to an end. Uh, you get over here in Philippians chapter 4, and you're going to read this. You're going to read right here, chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. You hear that three times now, I've already told you, in the Word of God, the Lord is near. Uh, look, at second, uh, look at 1 Thessalonians. He says, we're to encourage each other with this. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord's coming is near. The Lord is coming. In that church in Thessalonica where these people had this, they, they, were, they were this restless personally. Doctrinally, there was an issue. They had gotten the second coming all messed up doctrinally. Uh, they were in despair spiritually because their loved ones were dying and they thought, well, they died before Christ returned. Uh, there is no hope for them. And, and Paul writes them and says, no, 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 no. You've got this thing mixed up here. And he comes and he, he tells them, he says, listen, you need to understand, we're not going to precede those who have fallen asleep. 
We say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who fall fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The great comfort we have in the midst of all this hellish mess that is going on is that Jesus is coming. Now, that ought to encourage you, brother. And if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. Jesus is going to come. And he's going to sort it out when he gets here. Now, go home and behave, okay? No. Let me, let me show you three things quickly, and I'll wrap this up. If you, back there in James chapter 5, you come to verse 9, listen, you're going to need patience when people frustrate you. People frustrate you. Listen to what he says. Don't complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Listen, God's listening to everything you say. Don't, don't get caught up in the cycle of complaining. It becomes a, a, a never-ending cycle in people's lives who start complaining and they just never get off that merry-go-round. He says, don't do that. People may frustrate you, but stand there and be patient with them. Number three, verse 10, he says, you're gonna need it when you're being faithful and you're gonna be persecuted. And he turns now to the prophets as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You're gonna need it then. Uh, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He looked at him and he said, can you please tell me which of the prophets your fathers did not kill? They didn't put up with it. You're speaking the word of God. You talk about the word of God in a day, about abortion, about homosexuality, about gender issues, about marriage. You talk about these things. Everybody wants to run and put a label. You're being political. I'm being biblical. That was never before political issues until somebody dreamed it up. That's the way we can shut people up in the church. You can shut me up when you put me six feet under. He says, you preach the truth, you're going to suffer for it. You take a godly stand, expect people in your neighborhood not to like you. Number four, the fourth thing is this. Verse 11, it's when life falls apart. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. Who endured like Job did? All that he suffered through. And listen, Job pushed the limit on it sometime, didn't he? With the Lord. Didn't he kind of push it? Didn't he kind of get that envelope out there with the Lord just a little bit? Because when the Lord shows up, this is what the Lord says to Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird yourself like a man and ask me, and I will listen for your instruction. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Since you have understanding, you tell me. He shows up and he says, Job, all this stuff you've talked about, and yet Job is a picture of patience because of all that he endured. You're going to need patience when life falls apart because life will fall apart. So you say, when a pastor, what is? Now, there you've got three points in a matter of minutes. Here you go. What is patience? Well, let me tell you what it is not to begin with. Patience is not fatalism. 
You just accept it. Patience is not passivism. Just go along with it. Patience is not escapism. You run from it. Patience is not isolation. I just cut everybody else off. Patience is not humanism. You know, just embrace it. Whatever it is, just embrace it. It's, it's kind of the whole concept of Islam. Allah wills, whatever it is. You know, it's just a fatalism, honestly. It's a humanism of uh, just saying, just whatever it is, you just take it. Now listen, patience is the ability to bear up under the ugliness of people and under the unpleasantness of circumstances by putting your trust in the one who holds your life. That's what patience is. That's what patience is. Patience is hard. Patience is difficult. But patience is depending on God. Now, who's writing this letter? Who's writing this? James. Who is James? He's the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. Uh, all of who, none of them believed on him, by the way. Uh, I'm gonna... I'm going to go back to a past. Do you remember in Mark, I think it's Mark chapter 2, where Mary and the sisters of Jesus and the brothers of Jesus all show up, and Jesus is in the house. I think it's in Capernaum. He's in Capernaum, and everybody is piled into the house and around the house, and they can't get near it, and they send word in. And why do they come? They come because they think Jesus has lost his mind. They didn't believe what he was doing. Now, think of this. They come in and say, hey, listen, your mother, your sisters, your brothers are out here waiting on you. Jesus says, who's my, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Who's my sister? You know, he goes through, through that. Jesus, we're not told, and Jesus walked out of the house and laid into his family because they did not believe in him. He must have been incredibly patient with his family. John chapter 7. It's the Feast of Booze. And uh, the brothers of Jesus come to Jesus and say, hey, listen, they're mocking him. They're making fun of him. And listen to what they say. Therefore, his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret. Go on down there and do it in Jerusalem. Show everybody all these miracles. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. You think James thought about that? When he wrote the little epistle of James and he started. Do you think James wrote, wrote what he's saying about patience and he thought back about growing up in a house full of brothers and some sisters? You ever had a bunch of boys? You know what you do if you got a bunch of boys? Get a stick to begin with. They bow up at each other. They fuss. They argue. They try to outstink each other. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible thing, you know, while you go through it with all these boys in the house. They, they'll tear the house down if you don't watch it. And here are the brothers. And in walks Jesus. And don't you know they did everything they could to him to get him to fly off the handle? Don't you know they tried everything they could to get him to just 
be what they were. And as James writes through this epistle and he talks about patience, the patience, the Lord Jesus is near. My brother, I never saw him lose it. Never saw him short-tempered. He was always patient even when we were yanking his chain. There was a patience in him that needs to be in us. I grew up in the 60s and I was everything about the Apollo NASA program. I loved it. Got all those Gulf, you remember Gulf stations? They used to have all of those books on the Apollo moon, all that stuff that they put out, you know, in the 60s. And I followed it. I was up the night, my dad got me up the night that they landed on the moon and we watched it together. And I always dreamed about being an astronaut, dreamed about flying, dreamed about, you know, all of that. My dad had his pilot's license. He flew a little Cessna and I always dreamed about that stuff. And um, thought about it. Alan Bean was a major figure for me. He was the fourth man to ever walk on the moon. He was the captain of the Apollo 12. He had been trained. He was uh, an astrophysicist and an, uh, an engineer trained by NASA. He was trained originally to be a test pilot. Now, do you know what they do with test pilots? They put them in planes that they built and said, if you make it back, we'll know it works. That's what it is, basically that. If you get back on the ground and you live through it, we will produce this. We'll know it works. Well, as a test pilot, he was trained with the very first lesson was this. In any situation, you ask yourself the question, is this thing still flying? That's the question. Before you do anything else, they hounded him, they pounded that into all these test pilots. You know, all of these guys, they pounded that in their head. Is this still flying? Is this still flying? Is this still flying? No matter what emergency comes up, is this still flying? On the Apollo 12 moon uh, uh, rocket launch, the, I don't know if you remember this, but into the launch, about a minute or two minutes into the thing, it was struck by lightning. The thing was hit by lightning and every alarm system in the capsule went off, like driving Debbie's car. Every alarm system in the thing went off, and everybody in that capsule just lost it except for Alan Bean. And Alan Bean kept asking, the first thing popped into my head, is this thing still flying? Is it still flying? Is it still? And he kind of determined this thing seems to still be flying. So he turned around to everybody else, and he said, now calm down. And think, you check these things, you check these things, you check these things, I'll check these things here. And systematically, they began to go through every switch, every lever, every button that was buzzing, every light that was flashing, and they got through the whole list of them, and they discovered they were still on the trajectory they were to be on, and they were still flying. Now, that's what happens in your life is when something hits your life and every alarm goes off in your life, you need to wait and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit say, I'm still directing your life. Just be patient. Let's stand and pray about it.
Now, I don't know if you needed that sermon or not. I suspect that everybody needs it at one time or another. But for somebody in this place this morning, what you do need to know is not about patience, but about Jesus Christ. That right now, maybe God's speaking to your heart. I believe if you're listening, he is. And the great need in your life is not patience, but your need is a savior. And he'll get to the patience part later, but right now, you need to trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. You need to receive him. That is, you need to lay hands on him and say, I take you as my Lord, I take you as my Savior. And you say, well, now what do I do with that? What you do is you simply begin to pray and say, Lord Jesus, I'm trusting you today. I believe that you were crucified for me. I believe that you were raised from the dead and I come now to confess my sins to you and to admit I cannot save myself, but I am putting my faith, my hope, my trust in you. I receive you as Lord of my life, Savior of my soul. And I do it in Jesus' name. Now, did you just pray that prayer? I'm standing right here. I want you to come to me. I'm going to receive you in the name of Jesus. If you will come to me and say, I prayed that prayer in my heart. I sincerely made that commitment to Jesus Christ. I want to welcome you into the kingdom of God. I want to welcome you into the family of God. I'm asking you to step out and to come and to make that decision. Others of you need to come and join this church. You've been here. God has ministered to you. God is blessing you. Others of you need to come forward and do what this wonderful family did this morning and say, we need to follow Jesus Christ in believer's baptism. It's what the New Testament teaches. If I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I need to do what Christ has called me to do. Maybe you just need to come and get on your knees at this altar. Maybe there's an issue in your life you've not been very patient with. Maybe husbands and wives are not being very patient with one another. Maybe there are parents that are not being very patient with their children. And listen, young people that are not being very patient with their parents. Maybe there's a brother here this morning who's not being very patient with another brother in this place. I'm not telling you to come to me. I'm telling you to go to Jesus. Father, in these moments, would you honor your word? Speak to our hearts and draw, Father, irresistibly those who need to come. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Your head's bowed. Would you come right now as Kirkwood sings, you come to Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.